Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 20 of The Revenge of Kang. We are still in chapter 2, Strange New World, a chapter that promised us novelty in the title and then immediately told us the fucking time machine was trying to kill us again. But now we've landed the time machine, we've conquered it once again, and our heroes are almost to their destination. Quote, the time machine becomes caught up in a huge spiraling funnel of time and heads toward an intense white light. When the machine finally reaches the light, its emergency materialization circuits kick in and the time capsule begins to fade out of the vortex. There is nothing anyone aboard the time machine can do to prevent the ship from reaching the end of the funnel and materializing. Now here's the box text when our heroes step out. Quote, The emergency circuits must have kicked in because you have materialized, but in a place unlike any you have ever seen before. The chronometer reads like you've been completely removed from time and space altogether. To make matters worse, the time machine's control board is completely dead. There is no way that the time machine can leave this dimension under its own power. I don't know, we've had great luck flying this thing with no apparent ability to control it before. I don't know if we're sure the time wheel is even connected to anything. Quote, Looking outside the viewport, you find that you have come to rest in the middle of a vast sea of sand and shrubs beneath a pale red sky. About five miles in the distance, you see a huge spire that is filled with a pale green liquid. By land, there is a thick swamp between your present location and the spire, a disconcerting sight considering the swamp is adjacent to a desert. Located about 100 yards away appears to be another stranded time capsule, half buried in the sand. So there are a number of directions to go from here, and there's also a big section on this page explaining to the judge what's going on here, how everything got this way, and we're not going to talk about that because it's a spoiler. But it's okay because we are going to talk about what, to my thinking, is clearly the most interesting aspect of this scene to any right-thinking player. Our time machine has crashed. It is useless. It is next to another crashed time machine, which we are about to discover is also useless because it is broken down. We've got a dangerous alien situation, an unknown landscape, a lot of real smart superheroes. If early Fantastic Four has taught me nothing else, it has taught me that now is the time for gadgeteering. I am an enthusiastic gadgeteer in role-playing games, but in this instance, my enthusiasm has peaked. This is as happy as my make-believe inventor brain is going to be in this situation, because if I want to do any gadgeteering, it's time to turn to the gadgeteering rules. And once I turn to those rules, I will find only an escalating series of disappointments. The dumbest thing on this page is that we've got two time machines worth of parts, and there's not really any good gadget work to be done out of this scene. We can't repair the time ships. We can't really make anything useful out of the time ships. We can't even get very much useful information from analyzing the time ships in a mechanical sense. And that's down a little bit to this page, not giving us special rules or suggestions for those things, but it's due mainly to the pre-existing dumb gadgeteering rules. I'm definitely going to talk about those in a minute, but first, let's set the scene with what happens to our heroes once they go to investigate this time ship. So the time capsule is buried in the sand. It is a metallic sphere about 20 feet in diameter. There's just one little opening in the capsule, and when you open it and try to get inside, a laser screen activates. Yes, just in case you forgot this was superhero D&D, there are traps. You have a chance to make an intuition roll to avoid the lasers, but if you don't make it, you don't notice them, and they zap you. They do incredible damage, which is 40 damage. It's entirely possible that one of us is now dead, or in the case of the New Mutants, one more of us is now dead, but we've got enough to talk about on this page. 
let's just ignore the fact that we might be dead now and move on. Uh, you can deactivate the lasers if you make a reason roll, or if you don't, then the batteries die out after like 12 rounds. That's like a minute, 12 seconds. Then you can go ahead and get in the capsule. You can easily see that it is a time machine. You find that all the batteries are dead, and you find some plans lying on the control console. If you make a good intensity reason feat, you'll realize what these are. And this is the beginning of a very, very long series throughout the coming chapters of pretty easy reason feats, but nonetheless reason feats with an intensity that you need to pass to understand what's going on in the plot pretty much. So if you happen to be playing a group of exclusively unintelligent characters, uh, you are going to be drifting cluelessly through what is already kind of a slog. Everybody's in for a long ride in the back seat with no AC, but if your intelligence is low, you don't even get to look out the windows. But assuming you've got somebody reasonably intelligent in the group, they're going to see that these plans describe a device that would require two key parts, an interspatial overdrive unit and a huge power source. Neither of the timeships has either of those things. If you make a more difficult and excellent intensity reason feat, then you can tell what this device is for. Uh, it is an escape device that would let a timeship break through the dimensional barrier and get out of here. I mean, red skies, swamp, desert, pale green liquid, nothing going on all around you as far as the eye can see. You can already see that this dimension sucks. You want to get out of here as quickly as possible, and clearly someone else did too. The bad news is you would have to have a reason of amazing to build this device yourself, so it's not likely to be too useful to you. In fact, in our case, Iron Blood might just be able to do it. He does have a superhuman intellect due to his blood's high iron content, and he has a lifelong fascination with electronics, also allegedly due to his blood's high iron content. So he has an effective amazing when it comes to this electronics work. He might be able to actually build this thing, but everybody else is out of luck, and in any case, we don't have an interstellar whatever the thing is, and also we have no huge power source. If you check out the control console of the timeship, if you specifically say, I am looking at the control console, not only do you get karma for guessing what the author decided was important in this scene, but you also discover that the ship has, quote, a burned out warp regulator, uh, which is a triangle shaped doohickey that you need to run the ship. The timeship is immobile until the warp regulator can be replaced. So that's where we are. We have some plans for a device, but we don't have the parts that we would need. We've got these two timeships here that can't be used at all until we get additional parts for them. We're in a strange alien environment, and we've just been reminded by Ironblood's unexpected ability to maybe actually build this dimensional escape device, if he had the parts, that Ironblood, he's a mechanical genius. He's an inventor. He made the team vehicle. He spruced up the team headquarters. Why not make a useful device right now while you've got two time machines right at hand? Well, the initial obstacle is that gadgeteering depends on reason partly, but a lot of it is about resources. You have to make a resources roll to get the parts that you need to make the machine that you envision. Now, we have resources scores, but as any conscientious judge would object, we can't exactly run over to the alternate reality ATM, pull out some cash, and then run to the swamp to see if there's a lizard there who wants to sell us sophisticated electronics. So I'm not sure that our resources score matters here. I'm not sure that we have any way to make a resources roll, which is really the first step of building something like this. Now, we got these parts here. We got these two time machines. Surely we should be able to put something together, but it's not really specified in the gadgeteering rules that that's allowed. There is an option called kit bashing, which in addition to being much faster than regular inventing, doesn't really mention making the resources roll. It's not, it's not at all clear. Fortunately, though, as it turns out, later in this very book, in the description of an individual room in an individual structure, there's a mention of the possibility of kit bashing an item using the parts in that room, which I'm accepting as canon, I'm accepting as law. We can kit bash when we have access to random shit. There are so many things that would be useful to us in this situation. The time machine brings many things to mind. For example, 
we could build a chroniton detector that would, you know, we'd spin it around, it would go beep, beep, beep when it's pointing at someone who has recently time traveled. Then we could find the pilot of this time ship and maybe hook up with them and work together to build this device. See if we can combine our resources, find those parts. We don't want to be stranded here. Clearly neither do they. Let's build a chroniton detector. The first thing we do is determine the effective cost of a chroniton detector. We do need to know the effective cost because it's going to set the time that it takes to build the device and also the reason role that we need to make to build it. So even if we're not paying for it, we need to look it up. So what is the effective cost? Well, let's say we're going to be modest here. All we want is, let's say, a good ability to track chronotons. Just a little ping, ping, ping device that's going to point us in the right direction. That's all we need. Maybe we can skip a step doing the inevitable triangulation to find this person since tracking isn't worth a damn in these adventures. So a good rating in chronoton detection. So the effective cost starts at good. However, late 1980s real world technology did not include chronoton detectors. They aren't a real thing. Therefore, we have to apply a special rule. Anytime you try to build a device that is not at least closely related, closely based on a real world technology as of the game's publication, in addition to the other components of effective cost for the gadget, like its power rank, its material strength, other subsidiary powers it might have, and so on, you also add a straight up monstrous cost to the device. So if we make a chroniton detector with a power rank of good, since chronotons aren't real, the effective cost will not be good, but monstrous. What does that mean? Well, it means that in the normal course of events, we would have to make a monstrous resources roll, which is the kind of resources roll that would challenge, for example, the United States government. Furthermore, the building of this device would take a number of days equal to the effective cost. So we're talking about two and a half months to build a chroniton detector. We don't really have that kind of time. I mean, based on what we know about the way time allegedly works in this adventure series, anything anywhere in time and space could be happening right now relative to us. And if we let it happen, then temporal forces are going to start bouncing our time machine against the fucking handball wall of the time vortex again. So we do need to hurry. We don't have 75 days to build a chroniton detector, even if Ironblood could manage a device of that magnitude, which he can't. For invention to really be feasible, you want to have a reason at least equal to, if not higher than the effective cost. So what this rule does single-handedly is any comic book device, I want to emphasize there, any any comic book device that you want to build has to be something that is pretty much possible in real world technology. Otherwise, it is simply not feasible on multiple levels. It's going to take you multiple months to make. It's going to require you to be as rich as the US government. And it's going to require you to have in order to make sure this is a good use of your resources, like in order for it to even probably operate when you finish it, you're going to have to be I mean, much smarter than Reed Richards, you're gonna have to have like unearthly reason, like I think maybe the watcher has unearthly reason, I don't know. But like, yeah, far beyond the the regular geniuses, superheroes and supervillains of the Marvel Universe. Uh, So just forget about building any kind of like science fiction type device. Be reasonable. This is a comic book, but it's a boring comic book. You can only build things that are more more feasible. Okay, given the limitation that we can only build things pretty much based on real world technology, what we could do, we've got this little laser emitter here. We could make kind of a little like laser flare just to like at least let people know we're here. Maybe if we're alone here with that time traveler, they would see the flare and they would come find us and then we'd be all set. No chronotons involved. A flare gun is even on the equipment list. So, I mean, this is a slightly different mechanism, but it's the same kind of technology. Lasers exist in real life. Flare guns exist in real life. So let's make a flare gun. We don't need a ton of illumination. We'll Again, we'll stick with good, good illumination and flare guns are possible in the real world. So all we need to think about is the power rank of the flare, good, and then material strength also is a factor. If the material strength is 
higher than good, then that's going to be the primary determiner of cost. And we don't have that kind of time. Even if the material strength is one step below the power rank, it's still going to add a column shift. So like if we have a good flare gun made of typical strength materials, we're going to end up with an excellent cost. So once again, we're talking about 20 days of work, which doesn't directly apply to kit bashing. But as you'll see in a moment, it is a factor. Excellent is going to be too high. We need to stick as low as possible. So we're going to have a good flare gun, good intensity light, and it is going to be made of poor materials. So it's flimsy. So the only thing we're going to be paying for is good power rank. There are, however, some additional bonuses that items might get that could increase the cost. So for example, if the device is portable, that's a plus one column shift. So all right, what we can do is we can build a, a stationary. Uh, it also has to be big. If it's pocket sized, that's another column shift. So a big stationary kind of flare cannon that will just fire off from time to time and see if we can bring people to us. So it's stationary. It's only good illumination. It's not even that bright. It's super flimsy. Can't move it. It is, it is only good power rank. We're cutting every corner that we can. The other thing you need to know about this flare gun is that because it's kit bashed, it's only going to last for one to 10 turns, which is six seconds to a minute. So we can't actually fire it off repeatedly, but we can, we can manage a single use flare cannon that will shoot up one laser flare, light up the sky as bright as like a mid-grade commercial firework, and then probably immediately fall apart because it is made of poor quality materials. If we're lucky, maybe we can send up another flare before the whole thing breaks, as long as we do it within a minute. Okay, that's acceptable. One flare is better than none. Now it's time to make that reason roll, right? No, it's not. Because kit bashing has a special cost. It doesn't take as long as it normally would. So like, normally it would take 10 days to build, I mean, a potent device, like the impossibly flimsy stationary dim flare gun. Kit bashing, it doesn't take 10 days, but it does take 10 karma for every day it would normally take. So building the flare gun is going to take us 100 karma. Well, fuck that. I do not have 100 karma to spend on one flare. So let's think smaller. Let's, here's the thing. Iron blood, nice guy, a wonderful man. The thing you have to know about iron blood though, is that his, his blood iron content is very high, which makes him a little bit of a dreamer, a little bit overambitious. Let's forget about iron blood. He's going to be looking over these parts forever. Eventually the team's going to have to drag him away because he can't make anything cool with these parts. And he's probably not going to accept that deep in his heart. Nothing's going to happen here on the gadgeteering front, but over in the misfits, We've got some pragmatists, so let's do something much more simple. They all have excellent reason. No one of them is as smart as Iron Blood, but they're all bright. They can all contribute. We've got a scientist on the team. What can we... We've got all these parts. We don't want to waste them. What can we do? Well, as we've seen, Super Ball is having a little bit of difficulty contributing in certain situations. She's got good strength to hit people. That's kind of her only offense when the force field isn't a good idea. She has the blunt weapons talent, though and no blunt weapons to use. So let's fix that. Let's make a club. Let's let's salvage these time machine for parts and make a club. I'm not prepared to pay a ton of karma for this club. So let's see how it goes. Let's, let's keep the cost down as much as we can. Let's make her a good strength club. So it's just good. It does good damage. However, this price is going to blow up if we also make it durable. Because if we make it good damage, but also good material strength, which is already like less material strength than a regular club, I believe. But if we do that, then we're going to end up with an excellent or higher cost. And we're right back where we started. So we'll make it good damage, but we'll make it out of poor materials. That's two steps down. So we're still at good. And there's a little discount. If you make a weapon and it's only a melee weapon, has no range, like a club. As a, well, we have to make it non-aerodynamic. So it is a flimsy non-aerodynamic club. So it cannot be thrown. 
it gets a minus one column shift to its effective cost. So we're now down to a typical. So we're doing great. This is this is inexpensive. This is a bargain, this club. All we're paying is like the bare minimum just to make an invention. The club's cover charge, if you will. Now, as you know, trying to rush this, trying to kit bash this club, for these women to put their heads together and just real quick try to put this club together, it would be a mistake. For one thing, the club would then only operate for at most one minute. And if I know this adventure series, while we may be attacked less than one minute after we arrive in a new place, if that happens, we're going to be attacked by an overwhelming force that knocks us unconscious no matter what we do. And by the time we wake up, the club is going to be past its expiration date. So we need a club that's going to last, which means we're not going to kit bash. And that's good news because we don't want to spend 60 karma on this thing either. So we're going to go through the proper process. Let's go ahead and agree that we're going to take six days. We'll stay here. It's not unreasonable. Like we've got a time machine. It's an empty expanse. We have a lot of experience hunting for food out in the wild after the events of the weird, weird West. So one of us can hunt for food. We'll scout around. We'll kind of secure the perimeter. We'll just spend six days here making a club because we're not kit bashing, no karma cost. And therefore, we do get to go ahead and make that reason roll. Now, the team is really well situated to do this. Probably it's Dr. Ja who's making the main reason roll on this. Unfortunately, nobody has any relevant talents. Uh, Superball does have the blunt weapons talent, but she doesn't have a high enough reason to contribute. To assist an inventor, you have to have a reason within one step of theirs. But when Superball is Rhonda, she's smarter. So she, as well as the rest of the team, can contribute. So... Dr. Jaw can only benefit from one assistant, but she has lots of choices. So she'll get her effective reason up from excellent to remarkable by having help working on this club. Uh, the modifiers to cost for being portable don't apply to weapons. That's just for things that mimic powers. So we don't need to pay extra for that. So we're there. We, we've got this weapon. It costs typical resources, which means the judge is just going to have to spot us. Like what we might do, because we're saving 60 karma on this thing by not kit bashing it, is ask if we can make a resources roll with effective shift zero resources because we don't have any resources. Because with shift zero, you actually still have like a 35% chance to get at least a green success. So basically we can we can scavenge parts. Now, this roll is going to have a typical intensity, which means we do need a red result, which means we need to roll a 100 if the GM allows this. And maybe we can buy up to that 100 with karma. Or maybe the GM will be nice and say, look, typical resources... That's low enough that with two time machines to work with, you can find the parts for your club. That would be very kind of the judge to do. One way or another, let's assume that we meet the resources cost and we go ahead and make our reason roll. Dr. Jaw is rolling with an effective, remarkable reason. And the good news is, after six days of hard work making this club out of two time machines, there's a 65% chance that it'll work. That's just to get a green result, though. And if she gets a green result, then it's going to work for one to ten rounds and then fall apart. And then she can try to build it again, but that's another six days. I don't know if we have that time. Reassembling a club can be tricky business. You know, there's the part that you hold, the part that you hit people with. Just believe me, it's really complicated. If you had the blunt weapons talent, you would understand. There's more to it, you know. Remember that we have to make it ill-shaped and un-aerodynamic as well. So that's an additional stage of quality control. But yeah, there's a 65% chance that it works. But the odds of the club actually working and continuing to work beyond the first minute of its existence are 35%. So Having invested a week in this, not having more time, we're definitely going to want to go ahead and spend the karma to get that up to a yellow result. Uh, on average, that's going to cost Dr. Ja about 15 karma. So she's paid 15 karma. She spent six days working on it. If all goes well and the GM spots us a typical resources roll, then after a week of work and some karma expenditure, we have a club. Now, it doesn't work well at first. 
If you get a yellow result, uh, you're going to be minus one column shifts on everything the device does for one to 10 days. So for the next one to 10 days, um, after the six days we spent building the club, the club will actually do typical damage, which is less than Super Bowl hitting someone with her hand. But after that one to 10 days, so if we're unlucky, maybe a little over two weeks from the time we initially decided we would like a club, uh, we will have a fully functioning club that will allow Super Bowl to do the same amount of damage she's doing now, but hit a little better because she likes clubs. So the dumbest thing on this page is the gadgeteering rules. Uh, you can't do anything cool. Everything takes a prohibitively long amount of time. Comic book style gadgets are beyond the reach of essentially any player character option. And the karma cost to make things in a hurry is outrageous. I mean, if you want to make a comic book style device like a chronoton detector in a hurry, like if we were chasing someone down right now and we had the reason to do it and everything, and we just said, let's kit bash a chronoton detector and give chase, that would cost at least 750 karma. It's, I mean, it's totally ridiculous. You've seen the karma awards in this game. We're, we're barely breaking even. I mean, I think in many cases, there's going to be a net loss of karma throughout the adventure because it costs so much to succeed at all these roles and the rewards are just piddling. So gadgetering rules, absolute garbage. I love this game system, but this one, there's no defense and it is not this author's fault. The gadget rules in the Marvel Superheroes role-playing game, absolute trash. And by the way, all of our heroes are smart enough to know that and they're not making shit. I mean, this was a fun hypothetical exercise, but don't expect Super Bowl's club to show up later. Everybody is smart enough to realize there's no use trying to make anything in this bullshit universe. However, speaking of this bullshit universe, join me next time when we begin on our journey overland and come across a rare opportunity where the reality of this game system works in a totally fucked up way in our favor on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret, patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.